Open up your Bibles, please, to Psalm or uh, Genesis chapter 37. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you of some passages that you may or may not know. In, Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, it says this, uh, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Uh, in times like this, many times we go, God, I don't, I don't see how this makes sense. It doesn't make sense to me. Your, uh, your, your plan is a bad plan. It's a bad plan, and I don't get it. And I want to tell you that it's not just a different plan than yours. It's a higher plan. His thoughts are better, that his ways and his plan is supreme over anything that we can figure out. Secondly, I want to say in the book of Romans, chapter 8, God's Word says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. That it says in that passage, and it's bothered me most of my life, it says all things. It says all things. And when we look at things, we look at one of two ways. It's good or it's bad. And you, you read that passage and, and you got to know this, that God looks at even the bad and he says, I can make that good. I, I can use that. Uh, you only see bad, but I can make that good. Uh, we use that as a backdrop this morning. Uh, the Isaiah passage, the Romans passage, and the third thing I want to share with you in the Old Testament a couple of different times, but one in particular I'm thinking of, God took his people into captivity. Uh, they, were, they were put in captivity and, and for years in captivity, uh, really for a generation or, or so or more in captivity. And you say, if you watch it, and undoubtedly as they were seeing it, they were going, God, I don't see your plan. I don't understand how this fits together. If you were good, if you're doing it the way I thought you would do it, we wouldn't be in captivity, especially to these ones that are wicked. And I want to tell you that sometimes that is part of his plan, of the difficulties of these days. And this morning, we're looking at a, a story of Joseph, the Old Testament story of Joseph. And why Joseph, uh, you know, I, I've... I learned of this message as a child, and then I was reminded of it in my adulthood that this is not just a story of a man of character, but this is the story of the working of God, how He works out His plan. And this morning, I hope that uh, this will grant you great courage to face whatever you're facing. Some of you facing this situation, and your hearts are broken uh, because of how this affects you. Um, I want to share with you uh, about the story, the life of Joseph. Um, and so we'll pick it up in chapter 37. Chapter 37 starts, or the, the story is that Joseph is 17 years old. He's a 17-year-old. Uh, he's a young man, but definitely a young man, not a seasoned man. He's got older brothers. And we find out early that uh, he uh, is, has been telling on his brothers. His brothers lacked character and they were doing certain things and he told his father about them. This is not a way that uh, amongst brothers it creates rivalry. In fact, 
Uh, the other piece of that, we find that his father had a special relationship with him, so much so that he gave them this special coat uh, that marked it as, as this is something special for you, Joseph, because of my love and my affection for you. In the next section, chapter 37, verse 5 through 11, it, it talks about Joseph having two dreams. And in these dreams, uh, there's one about sheaves uh, falling down to the one sheave. And, and then there's one of sun, moon, and stars bowing down before Joseph. And both of these dreams that Joseph had uh, were ones that he shared with his brothers and his father. And his brothers were like, this is a terrible dream. And why would you even share that? And they were bothered by that. They saw it as uh, his arrogance again and his thinking he's special. And even his dad jumps in and says, you know, well, what are you talking about? Don't, don't say that. And, and later his, it says that his father thought about these things and wondered about these dreams. So it's, this is a backdrop we see uh, starting in verse 12 that Joseph goes to his brothers He's going to check up on them. He's been sent by his father to go check up on them. And as they see him coming, they mock him uh, to each other. Here comes the dreamer. But not just mock him, they plot to kill him. Plot to kill him. And for those of you who have heard this story before, you say, oh yeah, I got the details down. They plotted to kill him. And then I know what's going to happen next. I know what's going to happen. I, I want you to place this in your own family. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you would know the, the heartache this would cause you if you knew, if you knew that they weren't just saying, I'm going to kill you. They weren't just joking about it. They weren't just fighting as siblings. They're actually seeking and plotting to kill their brother. Break your heart. It'd break your heart. The, the hatred among the siblings, it would break your heart. It would it would cripple you and and amongst the brothers what would bring them to the place where they would want to kill their brother but this is the reality of life and so you you, you would say uh, some of us as clinical people we would say this is a dysfunctional family uh, it's not good for a family to want to kill each other you know this is something uh, unique and 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 awful it's awful what's it like to grow up in a family like that some of you know. Some of you know. Maybe that, that particular sin wasn't present in your upbringing, but there were others. And you, you say, oh, it's, it's not good. It was, to, to describe my family as dysfunctional is uh, just using one word when there's a lot more that can be said. Well, this is uh, the life of Joseph. His teen years. This was present. This is what was happening. Well, the, the brothers, we, you find in the passage that the brothers were wanting to kill him. And uh, the nice brother says, so let's not kill him. Let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. And then uh, one of the other brothers, hey, I got another idea. Let's sell him. Let's sell him. And once again, uh, some of you may look at killing as selling is better than killing. How much better? How much better? The, the idea of selling people uh, into slavery is, is an awful, awful, vile thing. The idea was that they would take their brother, 
who they had watched grow, grow up. They, they were there the day he was born. They, they were a part of their family. They ate dinner together. That they would take their brother and say, I, I'm going to sell you for 20 pieces of silver and never see you again. Who cares what happens to you and, and the vile things that might be done to you? I'm going to sell you. As you look at this and you think through what it would be for a 17-year-old boy, a young man starting life and what that might be for him, you might say, oh no, his life is ruined. Oh no, it's over. Oh no, this is a, a, a generational thing that... Uh, uh, he's going to be a bad father and he's going to raise a bad family and his life will be ruined. This is what you might say. The story stopped here. The story goes on, though. Uh, you find in the end of this chapter, uh, as, as you see uh, that he was sold. The last verse says, Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him into Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. He takes uh, Joseph from where he was down to Egypt and sold uh, to Potiphar, an uh, important man in Pharaoh's household. And then you have chapter 38. And I'll be honest with you, I've never preached chapter 38. I've never looked at it verse by verse. And there's a reason for that. It's one of the most uh, ugly, perverse chapters in the whole Bible. It's not that it shouldn't be talked about. It's in God's Word. It's inspired. God said, I want it in there. I want you to know the story. And it's the story of the brother Judah. It's the story of the brother Judah. Joseph's brother, older brother Judah, one that if you look at uh, what uh, he play, place he played in the story of Joseph getting sold. He was the one that suggested it that for him to be sold. And you look at that passage. You can read it later. Um, it's ugly. It's ugly. And it doesn't mention. It's not about Joseph. And so we're talking about Joseph. And then you have this chapter that focuses on Judah. And you might ask why. We'll get to that. So we uh, find Joseph grows up. He, he's wanting to be killed by some of his brothers. Other of his brothers sell him into slavery. And then you have this ugly chapter of the brother Judah and what he does in his own family. Which brings us to chapter 39, where now Joseph is in Potiphar's household. And uh, it says that... Uh, in the early part of the chapter, it talks about the success that God granted Joseph in bringing him up as a powerful man in Potiphar's household. And so that he was in charge of everything, everything in this huge household in servants and everything else. He was in charge. He was overall. Well, it also says that his wife, Potiphar's wife, wanted to be immoral with Joseph. She's a dirty woman and she chased after him. It says in God's word in verse 10, it said, And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, 
He would not listen to her, to lie beside her, to be with her. Uh, But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men were in the house, uh, were there in the house, she caught him by his garment and saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in, in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw uh, that he had left his garment in her hand and fled, fled them. Uh, See, he has brought among the Hebrew to laugh at us. He came to lie with me, and I cried out in a loud voice. It later says of Potiphar that his anger burned against Joseph, burned against him, so much so that he was thrown into prison, that Joseph was thrown into prison. Now, now, think about yourself as Joseph. Think about your son as Joseph. And if you'd know the details of this story, you say he was wanted. His brothers wanted to kill him. That should that, that's going to mess somebody up if you know that your brothers want to kill you. And then being sold into slavery and feeling like a a piece of uh, cattle or you know just a. a something that it can be bought or sold, that, that's going to ruin somebody. And now, when it seemed like things were turning up, ruin again, now being thrown into prison. Thrown into prison. Some of you here know what it is to be in prison. Some of you work in a prison. Some of you have spent time. Some of you had family members. Some of you have participated in that. Changes somebody and you say, oh, it's going to ruin him. I know it's going to ruin him. It's going to change him for the worse. During that time in prison, in chapter 39, verses 21 through 40, it says that there were these two other ones that had been thrown into prison along with Joseph. And in that prison, in that prison, Joseph once again was put in charge, was put in charge. And so you have uh, Joseph being in charge of the prison, and there's these two other prisoners, the cupbearer of Pharaoh and the baker, who had gotten on the wrong side of Pharaoh and ended up in prison as well. And so they were talking, and the the cupbearer was sharing with Joseph about his dream. And the, the interpretation that Joseph understood because of the Lord's blessing was, Joseph uh, shared with him, he said, look, you're going to go back into Pharaoh's household. You're going to be restored. It's going to be good for you. The baker goes, well, what about my dream? I have a dream too, and I want to tell you about it. And uh, Joseph said, not so good for you. Not so good for you. You're going to die, and he did. Uh, he was part of uh, his execution. But, but what he shared with the cupbearer is, don't forget me. When you get restored, don't forget me. Okay? Uh, Joseph, when he saw that the, the cupbearer was restored, uh, you, you can picture him going, well, I'm going to take my belongings here. You know, it's just going to be a few more hours. The cupbearer is going to share this. I'm going to be sprung out of here. God's word tells us something. So he's in, the, uh, he's in this prison. Uh, he calls him to remember me. But it says in chapter 40, verse 23, yet the Chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. But forgot him. Uh, the next section tells us that it's two years. It's two years. 
that you, you can imagine initially he was gathering his stuff, and he says, well, maybe it's going to take a little longer. Maybe it'll be tomorrow. Tomorrow passes. Well, maybe, maybe it's the next day. You know, he forgot, but he's, he's going to come to after the hoopla of getting out. And him re- but maybe it's taking, and, and for two years he waited, forgotten. Even, even as we uh, have sung, you've not forgotten us. Not forgotten us. There's a feeling sometimes where we go, because this bad thing's happening, you've forgotten us, God. You, you've let, and, and so Joseph's in prison and he's going, the, the one guy's dead and the other guy's in Pharaoh's household. He goes, What about me? Not forgotten us. It says that two years later, after two years, Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh has a dream, and the, the dream uh, is one that no one can interpret, and yet uh, the cupbearer goes, oh, no, I forgot that guy I met in prison, the guy who helped me, the guy who, a uh, man of character, and he, he goes and he says, we got to get this guy, and he comes and he, he shares with Pharaoh the interpretation of his dream is for seven years of amazing crops and plenty, and then seven years of amazing famine that would wipe out the land if not prepared for it. And in that great moment, Pharaoh uh, identifies Joseph as someone that God is with and that he can entrust with such a task to uh, prepare, prepare for such a famine as this. So he prepares, so he prepares. And now uh, Joseph's life is this thing of one bad thing after another, one bad thing. And, and, and you want to say, you want to say this, I, I want to tell you, if you bring it up to today, you say, bad things happen to people and they become warped by them. That's what you say. That's what we look at. Oh, the reason they're, they're not able to handle life is because this happened to them. Their life is ruined. And I want to share this with you because it's from God's Word. I want to share it with you because it's a story of a man, but not of a man. It's a story of a God that strengthened a man to be able to handle anything. And so God receives the glory. It says, uh, uh, turn it to chapter 41. I want you to hear this. Because Joseph wants to share a little bit about what his life in Egypt is like gives us a window into what God has done. And uh, this is an amazing thing. So Joseph, you, you don't know exactly what the timeline is. You know that he was in two years in prison and uh, the famine was seven years and uh, prosperity was seven years. So it's somewhere between there. He was 17 when this, you know, so you put these together and you go, he's a man now. He's a man. And we find out that he got married and, and had, had a wife and had children. And in chapter uh, 41, verse 51, it talks about two of his children. Did I say 40 earlier? I think I led you astray, but 41, verse uh, 51. It says this, Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. And this is what he said. For God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. Listen to that. Joseph looked at his son 
and he wanted to mark something in his son. And the name thing's kind of confusing sometimes. We don't know if the name was meant to mean this later or after. Like, it's all complicated. But I, I want you to see this. He, he looked at his son, his firstborn son, and he says, I want to, that, that God has done a work. That, does that sound like a man who's been ruined? It does not. That God had done a work in his hardship and even in his father's house that that would not keep coming up. And I want to tell you, bitterness will keep rearing its ugly head. It'll keep coming up. If you say, you know, I'm not, I'm not bitter, I'm not carrying that or whatever, yet you keep bringing it up, chances are you are. And, and for Joseph, as he looked at his son, he says, I, I named him in such a way because of what God has done in my life that I'm not ruined. He speaks of his other son as well. It says uh, he named his uh, firstborn Manasseh. And then in verse 52, it says the name of the second, he's called Ephraim. And this is what he says of God, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Do, do you get that? That is so great. In the land of my affliction. Sometimes we look at geography and we say that uh, this is a bad city because this is where it happened. I hate that city because that's where that happened. Or I hate that country or I hate that state because that state is where this has happened. Or maybe it's the house. This, this house is bad because this is what happened here. What does Joseph say? He says, God's made me fruitful. God has blessed me in the land of my affliction. It's not that his affliction didn't happen. It's, it's interesting. Sometimes we look at hard things and people say, well, don't talk about them. Act like they didn't happen. Uh, bury them, bury them, and never talk about them. And if you never talk about them, then you can move on. Other people go the opposite extreme, right? They say, uh, hi, my name's so-and-so. My life has been ruined. When did that happen? Uh, it happened when I was four, but I wanted you to know that, that that's why I'm a mess. I, I want to tell you that this is neither of those. It's acknowledging that life has been hard and bad things have happened, but that God in His goodness and His mercy and His grace has caused me to be able to still live and still be good. We're going to see this again in the life of Joseph, but it, it is one passage that stood out to me so much that, that he, he knew what God was doing, even though it had been difficult, even though the things had been bad. Well, the story, uh, chapters 42 through 47, are these back and forth. Joseph's brothers, in their desperation, in their famine, in their need, they come to Joseph, who's now in charge. And this is the time for revenge. Now Joseph is holding all the cards in his hand. And, and they're needy, and they're coming to him. And you just see Joseph, in his heart of compassion, want to bless his brothers and take care of them and his father and his family and just this back and forth and the struggle and even the testing of his brothers to see if there's been any difference. And, and in the end, he reveals to his brothers that, that he is the one that they sold into slavery and he wants them to come and to live near him. Come be provided for. 
What an amazing story of a life that should have been ruined in our mind. Should have been ruined. It's over. It's no good. You look at chapter 48, and Jacob, the father, is now going to, on his deathbed, give his blessing. And uh, before you look at it, some of you are cheating right, right ahead. You're not listening. Okay. Don't take off on me. If you look at that passage, if you, if you think about what that passage is, he's got a bunch of sons. He's got a bunch of sons. And he's ready to give to his sons what they deserve. And, and some of you, uh, your, your mothers and fathers, and you know about this, right? You have multiple kids and you think about them different. You love them all the same, but you're, you're looking at your, you maybe say, well, you know, I have this one son. He's a flake. This one son, he's a flake, and he doesn't deserve anything. He's already taken me for all I'm worth. You know, when it comes to having stuff and being blessed, you know, I don't really want to bless him because he's already taken everything that I have. Then I got this other son, you know, he can't be trusted. He can't be trusted. So I look at him and I go, you know, he's, he's kind and everything, but even if I give him something, it's not going to be great, and he's going to mess it up anyways. Then I have this daughter. Uh, she married... Like she married someone who I don't really like and is really taken. And so, so you're going in your mind and you're thinking through who deserves, who deserves. And if you can think of Jacob in that way as him handing out to his children, uh, not just his possessions, but his blessing and the birthright and the, the line that's going through. And if you think about it, as w- from what I've told you right now, who does it go to? Go to Joseph. Joseph is the son. He's the favored son at the beginning. And, and this idea that you, Jacob now knows the story. He now knows the ruin that his brothers had tried to bring to him over and over again. And the hard things that had come in his life because of the cho- cho- uh, choices of his brothers. And so you go, I, I know how this is going to happen. It's going to be Joseph. Well, you read that passage, I'll just summarize, you, you take Reuben, he's the oldest, he gets skipped over. You've got two other brothers that they get skipped over for the things that they'd done. I think it was chapter 38 again. Um, and then it comes to Judah, and you're like, well, this is going to be short work here, we're going to get over him. And you go, wait a minute, Judah is the one that receives the lineage, the birthright. And you're going, what? This doesn't seem right. Well, why not Joseph? In fact, uh, you can go to the book of Psalms. Uh, I'll just give you the passage. You can look it up later. In Psalm uh, chapter 78, verses 67 and 68, you read there, it says that Joseph was rejected and Judah was chosen. And you go, wait a minute. Wait. Oh, no, 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 no. Back up. You're, you're missing the story here. God, you're doing it wrong. Give it to the good guy. And we see later that Judah in his choosing is now in the line of Christ. And you see that this was meant to show once again that it's not because of great things that we have done. It's the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Tough for us to get through, but uh, one last thing I need to share. Joseph embraced the plan of God. 
Turn over to chapter 49, verse 18. Jacob is now dead. He's no longer here. And the brothers undoubtedly had talked amongst themselves and said, uh, Joseph's just holding it together for dad here. He's just being kind to us because of dad. He loves dad. They had a special relationship. It's that coat thing again. And uh, I, he's just holding it together. But now that dad is gone, here it comes. Here it comes. But this is what happens. Um, as we look at God's word, we hear, uh, I'm going to read to you just a portion of what happened with his brothers and him. Chapter 49, verse 18. God's word says this. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Verse 19, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for I am I in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them. He spoke kindly to them. That's an amazing passage. We've sung it today, I think. That's the grace of God working in a man's life in such a way where he says, I just need to do what God wants me to do. And what God wants me to do is he wants people to eat. He wants people to eat so they won't die. And I'm just thankful that this is what God was doing. And uh, you, you meant to ruin me, but God had it as part of his plan. And so I'm, I'm good with that. And he says the, the saving of many lives. Who were the lives that God used Joseph to save? Many, right? Many. So all of Egypt, all of Egypt, when they looked around, there was a sense where they were indebted to God for what Joseph did because they had food. The brothers, they were out of food, right? They were out of food. And so the brothers came and they got food. And so they were indebted to God for what he did through Joseph's life. And, and then, particularly, that one brother, Judah, that one brother, to know that his life would be saved so that he would be a part of the line of Christ. This was the plan of God, and Joseph understood it. He just said, I, I don't know all the details, but I know this, that it was meant, I was meant for a purpose. God had his purpose worked out in my pain. I want to give you some ways of dealing with days like this, and I know we've gone long, but um, I just feel it important today. Uh, some things that I hope will help you understand where to go from here. The first one is this. God has a plan that in the moment we cannot see or understand. God has a plan. Um, it seems, maybe even like today, it seems like everything is blown apart and you go, God, why? I, I, I don't see how this can be good. I, I don't see how this can be a part of your plan. I want to tell you that God has a plan. God
God has a plan that we may not be able to see in the moment. Secondly, and kind of going along with that, his purposes take even wicked and painful things and bring good out of it. His purposes take even evil and wicked things and bring good out of it. it for us, we're just good or bad people, right? It's a good event, it's a bad event. It's a good history or a bad history. It's just all or nothing. And I want to tell you that God takes that which is even bad and He says, I can use that to bring good. I can make this good in my plan. Thirdly, we need to keep going. We need to keep going. I'm, I'm amazed at the story of Joseph because most of us just the displeasure of our siblings makes some of us want to sit down and quit. But how about that your siblings want to kill you? How about that your siblings uh, treat you poorly? How about your siblings selling you into slavery with just some passerby? How about being thrown into prison? How about... Uh, being uh, left there year, day after day for years, uh, being forgotten. How about these things? For us, we would say, I quit. I quit. I won't go. And, and for some of you, uh, this may be a big deal. I, I meet people all the time, all the time, that say, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't follow after God. And you say, well, why? And they, they, they point to an event. Someone did them wrong. Something didn't go their way. Something wasn't part of their plan. And then they say, I quit. I want to tell you, don't quit. This is not the time to quit. Just as Joseph continued to walk with God, we are called to continue to walk with God. Fourth point, uh, and it's tied into the last, goes one step at a time. One step at a time. We talk about this all the time here, and I tell you, you need to take life one step at a time. I want to tell you, as pastors, this last week, we've taken this one step at a time. We've wanted so badly to know the end. We've wanted so badly to know what all this is going to mean, but, but we could only see the next step. We could only see, and some of it was we were struggling with just finding that next step and then taking it. And then say, well, now what? And then taking it one step at a time. Some of you uh, have tried to put together a swing set before. And you have the 1,200 steps to building a swing set. And, and, and you have all these things and you say, oh, it's going to be simple. I want to tell you, God never gives us that. He just gives us what we need for the day. Most of the time, that's just the next step. This next point, uh, the fifth point, um, somewhat jokingly, but I just say this way, Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. I know that's a country song now, and I don't really, you know, it's kind of weird or whatever, and not some, something that I want to get into, but I, I want to get this point out, that uh, some of you are controllers, 
your controllers. You want to make everything right. You want to take care of everything. You want to be the smartest. You want to be the one to guide other people. And so you, you constantly are grabbing a hold of situations and cranking the wheel, doing what you think is best. I want to tell you, that's a bad idea. That's a bad idea. But you want to... Uh, you want to go in the co-pilot seat or chances are we're back seaters even in our car seats, okay? Uh, that's where we go, in the back seat, in our car seat, okay? And uh, it's not that God is your co-pilot. He's your pilot. And, and, and you're not the one to be trusted with your life, the big and the small. You are not to be trusted. He is to be fully trusted. You want him to be the one uh, taking the situation and, and taking the wheel and, and turning it wherever he sees fit, wherever he thinks is best. Number six, uh, very important. I hope you're listening. I hope you're listening. I, I pray that this is helpful for you. Bad things don't have to ruin you. Bad things don't have to ruin you. Uh I could ask right now, has anything bad happened in your life? Anyone want, I'm not going to, but can you tell me what as bad has happened to you? And, and some of you are connecting the dots right now. Because it was bad that happened to me, and the, it's so severe, and I can't get over it. My life is ruined. My life is ruined. I want to tell you, that's not true. That's a lie of the enemy. It's a lie, and it's a plot of the enemy, too. That he wants you to think on your life, and you say, because this happened, my life is over. I want to tell you, look to the life of Joseph. Bad thing after bad thing after bad thing, and he still looked back at his life, and he says, God's been good to me. God's blessed me. He's made me fruitful. I want to tell you, just because bad things have happened to you, your life, because of the Lord, does not mean that it's ruined. Number seven, we have an enemy or enemies that want to harm us all the time, all the time. And I, I want to say it this way. This has been an enemy attack. This has been an enemy attack. And what, what happens here is this, that there's ripple effects. There's ripple effects. Sin is never isolated to one person. It's this ripple effect that affects the person and the people that are close to him, and it keeps going out and out. And, it, and if we think, some of us think this. We, we move up here to, uh, uh, to Hatchapi, and, you know, the land, and it's beautiful up here. It's a beautiful day. And some of you lived in gross places, and now you moved up here, and, and you're going, man, it's beautiful. Everything's going to be great here. I want to tell you, everything is not going to be great here. This is not paradise. We have an enemy. And, and, he, and he uses others. He has others that would come and be our enemies as well. And so for you to forget that will cause you to be lulled to sleep and be thrown by events like this, like this is somehow out of the ordinary. Number eight, uh, for us to quit, is agreeing with our enemy and playing on his team. For us to quit is agreeing with our enemy and playing on his team. And I want to tell you this. 
If you see the enemy at work in your life or the life or lives of the people around you, say no. Go the other way. Life is simple. You get crazy thoughts in your mind, and looking at the crowd here today, I assume that you do. You say, is this from God? Is this from God? If it's not from God, reject it. Reject it and replace it with His Word. If you have a step to take, you ask the question, is this from God? Is this from God? Or is this me playing into the plot of the enemy? I want to tell you this happens all the time. And I want to tell you, you don't want to uh, go along with the enemy. You don't want to agree with him. And you certainly don't want to play on his team. One last uh, admonition to you, one last challenge and encouragement to you is keep praying. Keep praying. Keep worshiping. Keep caring for one another. I, I know that for some of you, you say, well, if I just don't care about people, I, I don't get involved in their mess. I want to tell you that's not, the, that's not what the Lord wants. He wants you to keep caring. He, he wants you to keep serving. You know, uh, some of you are going to back away and you're going to say, oh, it's just too tough. It just gets messy. I want to tell you, don't lean back. Move, move forward. Move forward. Serve more. It's more needed. Some of you are going to quit giving. You're going to say, you know, uh, I'll just hold it back. I'll hold it back. I want to tell you there are still needs, still needs. God's given you the means. Give more, give more. Knowing that the, the war is hot right now. The war is hot. I'm always reminded of what happened in World War II when they understood that their, their country was at risk. What did they do? Everyone jumped to. They were donating things. They were buying war bonds. They were doing, Why? Because their country was at risk and they realized it had impact on them. And I want to tell you, this has impact on us now. Keep giving. Keep coming. Keep coming. I know for some of you, you say, well, it's just too, too close or too uncomfortable. And I, 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 I'll just take a break. I'll take a vacation from Bear Valley Church. Don't. Don't take a vacation. If it's tough for you, come a few minutes late and sit in the back. And when you, you, you hear me start to tie up, shoot for the parking lot until, until you can make it a little bit longer and push yourself knowing that this is God's place for you. This is where He wants you to be. And lastly, just keep walking with God. Walking with our only faithful God. None of us are faithful. None of us are trustworthy. None of us are are uh, a rock. We've saying we have a shelter, right? There's no one that's in the shelter. That's where it's the shelter itself. We have a shelter. He's the one that can be trusted. So walk with him. Just walk with him. Please join with me in prayer. God, I ask that uh, some of the things that we've talked about today would be uh, finding their way into the hearts of men and women right now both the young and the old. God, I ask that you would do your work in uh, healing the wounds that are here at Bear Valley Church, of helping us uh, continue on for protecting uh, this church. God, I, I ask that you would do your work, and I ask that you would remind us all 
that just because something bad has happened, our life is not ruined. God, and, and through all of this and through all of our lives, I ask that you would be glorified, that you'd be magnified, that we would be seen inadequate, weak, incapable, and that you would be seen as great in our lives. All glory and praise will go to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.